Now, this question here, who's going to save me, is an interesting question and, uh, because it assumes that people actually need saving, that there's a problem with people that need someone from the outside to come in and engage with it and kind of help them with it. It's kind of like someone from outside the system actually comes in and helps, helps out with that. Now, you could argue the toss on this, right? Some people would go, oh, I don't need saving. You probably heard someone say uh, that such and such is a self-made man. Like they just square it away. They can sort it out. They can get it done themselves. There's some people who like, oh, humanity's not in that much trouble. Um, but seriously, it doesn't take very long in our world to get to the point where you just go, there's something badly wrong with the world. Is anyone with me? I mean, it's just you can get really sanitised in the West sometimes, but when you hear about the brutality that actually happens around the place and you get down into the details of the way that people are living, something is seriously wrong. (laughs) So the question makes sense, I think. If there is something seriously wrong, what can be done about it? How do you get saved out of that? Now, Malcolm Muggeridge was a very famous British journal and he said this, He said, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. So he just goes, you don't, he goes, you can test with science, basically. You can just, from straight observation, you can can observe the fact that people are busted and they do bad stuff. True? But yet everyone wants to argue about it. That's really what Muggeridge is saying here you know perhaps one of the greatest evidences of the problem the human problem is the almost endless array of ways to fix it isn't it i mean as you think about decades and decades centuries millennia humanity has come up with all these ways to fix the problem and I like to call these, this is a Sondergel title, the natural therapies for the soul. <laughs> because they don't, most of these, if not all of them, recognise that it's just a natural thing going on. Like we just have to get the, a better system. We just have to get a better system. If we can get the right system, people will operate correctly. You know, a therapy is a treatment intended to relieve or heal a disorder. And I think if you, if you look through human history, you can see a long, long list of therapies for the human condition. And they keep changing. Has anyone noticed this? They keep changing. We just come up with new things. It's like, and it's, I mean, I might get to this a little bit later on, but there's this myth of progress and we're just not making progress. Has anyone noticed that? It's like people just believe that if we just get the right system, if we get the right stuff, we'll be okay. And yet we've been working on this getting the right stuff and getting the right system for thousands of years and we're still not okay. True? And I wonder whether, and I I would just, maybe just challenge you just a tiny bit at this point. Have you believed the lie? (laughs) Have you believed the lie that everything's just going to get better? I mean, it fits in really neatly with um, evolution, doesn't it? That's the whole evolutionary thing. We just keep growing and getting better until finally we're going to reach some kind of utopia. Really? How many centuries have people been saying that for? 
and we're not there yet. And we still believe it. We still believe we've just got to find the right thing and we'll be okay. I remember um, I, I had a, a long teaching career, which was about, I don't know, 20 years, which for someone who didn't want to be a teacher the rest of his life is a long teaching career. But part of what I did in my teaching career is sometimes I was kind of good cop and for a period of time I was bad cop. I actually, at this school, ran the detention system for a while. All right? Uh, and got some kind of sick pleasure out of it. I don't know. <laughs> I remember having conversations with teachers, right? And I am all for improvement in systems, right? But this was a classic conversation that it, it was like, it's like, oh, we're going around the mulberry bush again, are we? It's kind of like we're going around that one again. It's like, and this is the conversation. It's like, our system's not working. We need a better system that works. Is that, are there any teachers there that know what I'm talking about? So we need to... It's kind of like there's this seductive kind of thought that maybe down the track we're actually going to have a detention system that is going to work perfectly. The problem with detention systems in schools is they've got, they've got kids in them. You know what I'm saying? They just do. They've got kids in them. And who knows that humans can break any system? They can, Right? Like you can have the best attention system and a kid will bust it and make it not work because nothing in a sense, no system is any match ultimately for the human condition. You know, the way that you solve a problem reflects what you believe about the nature of the problem. And if you think that just coming up with some kind of system or some kind of natural way of going about resolving the human condition is going to get the job done, that tells you what you think about the actual situation. I think what's actually going on with humanity is way, way, way deeper. But let me give you some classic natural therapies for the soul that you uh, probably see around. And you don't have to admit to it, but some of you probably dip your toe in the water of a couple of these. Here's the first one, self-help. KBD bookstore at uh, Grand Central is full of it. Uh, I've got to be careful how I say that, but it is full of uh, self-help. Um, so don't even get me started. Like This is just like a free hit, uh, just kicking us off here this morning. right? You can go and you can look at the different names. So down the bottom here, you've got the happiness trap, stop struggling, start living. There's stuff, that, the hidden driver of excellence up the top there. Overcoming anxiety for dummies is down there. There's... There's books in there that use the F word uh, to kind of try and motivate you to help yourself. Um, Self-help is a big kind of deal. It's like we just need to get in and help ourselves and we can end up where we want to end up. This is um, Psychology Today uh, website. Listen to what they say. Most of us wish we could improve certain things about ourselves Lasting change is difficult. Many of our habits are deeply ingrained and certain core personality attributes may be immutable, unchangeable. But even the oldest of habits and character traits can be altered to varying degrees as it's never too late to change. Listen, with effort and determination, it's possible to be the person you want to be. Come on, you're not sceptics, are you? (laughs) See, if you live longer than 10 years, you just go, yeah, that's, that's not happening. All right? Yeah, can, is it possible that some change can happen? Yeah, it is possible that some change can happen. 
Is it possible that you can be the person you want to be and that it's all going to be sweet? If you read Psychology Today or you grab a self-help book from the, from the bookstore, well, not on your life. Because you're going to fail it. You're going to fail whatever self-help system you come up with, you're actually going to fail it and you're going to break it. And here's a self-help system that, uh, that you may not have even considered very much. And this is like one of my favourite images ever on the internet. Christianity, we have bacon. It's just cool. Obviously, you don't like it as much as me. And I'm okay with that, all right, because I've uh, read my self-help book this morning. Who knows that religion can be a massive self-help thing? Can't it? It's a, that's just another system, isn't it? It's like a supernatural system to deal with our problems. It's, it, that, I mean, and some of you go, yeah, I've heard about those bad Muslims, you know. Well, I tell you, Jesus reserved most of his most cutting comments for people that were kind of on his team or were meant to be on his team. You know, so bottom line is that, you know, if you're not a Christian here today, he didn't actually say that many harsh things toward people who weren't Christians. He said a lot of harsh things toward people in the church. And so in a sense that if anyone's going to be squirming here today, it's not people who don't know Jesus, it's the people that kind of do, but use Jesus and religion for their own ends. You know, you can use religion in a way that it actually becomes a self-help thing. All right, here's the second one. Um, how do we fix the human condition? Well, you legislate. You make laws about it and you put regulations in and you put punishments in and uh, you try to shape people that way. You increase government control, increase government regulation and people are going to be okay if we regulate and make laws and bust people for doing the wrong stuff. Now, I was in... Uh, Brisbane a few months ago doing some training and the uh, CEO of the Australian Counselling Association um, just made the comment because I've always kind of believed that, um, I mean, psychology is regulated by government, but uh, counselling is not. And I always thought it's going to be a natural drift. Counselling is going to drift toward being regulated, which means you have to be licensed and the government runs all those kind of systems. And he made this comment. He goes, the government will never regulate counselling. And he's like the CEO of the organisation, he said, because most other professions that the government has regulated have just become a massive headache for them and a big problem. He said they're they're far more interested in self-regulation. But this is the... I mean, a lot of people believe this, right? You have a problem, what do you do? Well, you just need more government, you need more laws, you put the right laws in, you put the right punishments in, and you punish people properly, then society will be all good. That's what governments do, right? I mean, I'm not even going to get into this debate right now. But it's, there's even a question mark over jails. Like, is a jail corrective or is it justice? Or is it both? And which one has prominence? And there you go. I just opened up a can of worms. But that's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, they're obviously both. But which one kind of predominates? Moving on. Education. You just educate people. They'll be fine. The problem is education. You have bad NRL players doing bad things, and what do they need to do? They need to go to an education course. That's what they need to do. They need to go and get educated about stuff. I remember uh, one of the first kind of public speaking kind of things I did at the school here when I was working. 
And I said it a little nicer than this, but I'll just say it this way so it's shorter and you'll understand it. But I stood up at a parent night and I, and I kind of gave this example that education doesn't always make people smart because people smoke and there's all these images and stuff on cigarette packets and people go ahead and do it anyway. Of course, there would have been a lot of smokers in the room. So the, the principal had a nice quiet word with me after it about diplomacy. Um, which is, was it Winston Churchill that said diplomacy is telling someone that they're going to hell or telling them to go to hell and in such a way that they ask you for directions. <laughs> you know, we actually think that if you give people the right information and people understand the right stuff, that they will make the right decisions, don't we? I mean, that's the line. That's the societal line. That's probably the one that's most prominent, I think, is like, you just don't know. If you knew the right thing, you'd choose rightly. But it doesn't work all the time, does it? Now, some of you go, well, it works sometimes. And I would say, yes, it does work sometimes. And in fact, all of these work sometimes. They just don't do everything that they really need to do. Because people keep, I'll say it, they keep smoking even when they look at gross pictures on a cigarette packet, even when they have relatives that die from stuff, and it's not just smoking, it's everything else. I mean, whatever your poison is, you don't go to the thing that you go to because you don't understand. Sometimes you do, but by and large, you don't keep going to the thing that's poisoning you because you don't understand the right stuff about it. Like there's a whole other kind of thing that's actually going on there. This is in The Sun from, uh, from England. Listen to this. Drunk offenders in South Wales who commit minor crimes after drinking will be offered the chance to take a course rather than face court. It is hoped the scheme introduced by Gwent Police will reduce reoffending and also cut costs usually incurred by taking such matters to court. Chief Inspector Richard Blakemore said the two-hour educational course would be a key aspect of the wider strategy which will help us tackle alcohol problems within Gwent. He said... The focus of this initiative is education. When people, listen to this, I think this is almost a little bit funny to me, but he's being serious, so I'm trying to respect him. But when people consume substantial amounts of alcohol, individuals can act out of character. We want to help those who make one bad decision, not make the same mistake twice. We strongly believe this will help to reduce drunken incidents on our streets and make our community safer. Why do I find that a bit funny? Like, I just go... Really? Like you think education's going to carry the day when someone's blind drunk? Do you get my point? Like you're giving them education, you're saying, okay, we've given you this information, now you're all set up. You can make a really wise decision now. So go out and just hit the gym beam and the Bundy rum. You, take it, you have as many shots as you want because we set you up for this so you can nail this. You all just go, yeah, like that's pretty dumb. What about this one? Yeah, this is not around as much as it used to be, but this is a big one. Like the problem with humanity was Christians, right? I mean, it's, it's, it kind of continues in our day, but in a different way, right? But the problem with humanity used to be, people were saying, it's, it's actually people putting moral rules on other people. And uh, this lady here, Margaret Sanger, 
was a, a particularly um, vocal kind of proponent of it. She said, remove the constraints and prohibitions which now hinder the release of inner energies and most of the larger evils of society will perish. She's kind of the... Um, really, I mean, what she started became Planned Parenthood in the States. You know, she, she taught that science had proved that sexual restraint suppressed the activity of the sex glands and injured health and dulled the intellect. And so people should be able to do sex whenever they want. That was one of the key things that she said. So, like, if we can just take the rules off about sex and people could do it whenever they want, we'll fix the human problem. Well, that worked, didn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I haven't heard anyone for, like, decades say that sex will save you, if you could just have it, where it with, with whoever and whenever you want to have it. Is it has anyone else heard that? I... Complete liberation with sexuality, that's what's going to save us. You guys doing okay? Here's another one. Uh, distract with pleasure. That's a way of kind of not really dealing with the problem, but we do that one quite a bit too, right? It's like don't look at the problem, don't talk about it. Uh, just have fun. Distract yourself. Uh, the last thing you want is to have any of those quiet reflective kind of moments where you think about your life and the purpose of your life and where you're going with your life like don't do that and then sometimes you know we've got this thing with like the midlife crisis which is the male that just just bottoms out uh, thinking about all that sort of stuff um, and then it's all out there at that point isn't it I mean you think about our entertainment so much of our entertainment is about escapism try to forget the rules I remember listening to a comedian Christian comedian, um, which is not, a, well, it sounds like an oxymoron, but a Christian comedian, um, when I was a young guy, I talk about how uh, when you're a drug addict, uh, you look in your icebox and um, in your fridge and there's no food there, so you go and hit some more drugs up because it's just like, I don't have to deal with that. And he goes, and when you come off your high, someone's stolen your icebox. You don't even have an icebox anymore. And it's a bit like that sometimes with us. Uh, with humanity, it's like, let's just distract, distract, distract. And while we're doing that, a whole bunch of stuff continues to fall apart. That is a good uh, internet uh, image. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you a jet ski. Have you ever seen anyone say that on a jet ski? All right, here's another one. Economic improvement. I mean, there's a, there's a big belief and there's some truth about it that uh, desperate poor people do bad things so do desperate rich people but desperate poor people do bad things so what we need to do is we need economic improvement we need to get people out of uh, poverty and I'm all for that and I think that does make a contribution to the, uh, the discussion about the human condition but will it in itself ultimately solve what is wrong with people no, it won't. <laughs> you know, and we could say about all of these, you, you could ask the question, do, does, do they work? And you kind of say, well, a little bit. <laughs> and you'd be right, I think. I think they kind of do. But it comes back to this, uh, this kind of inbuilt optimism that we have in our culture. It's like we just have to find the right tool that's going to get us to where we need to get to. I think the fascinating thing is that I think our society believes in redemption. 
I mean, it, 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 the word gets used on the news uh, every now and then. Uh, there's still a belief that we're going to make it. But it's like I was saying earlier with the discipline system of the school. Humans will break any system. You know, and, I, and I think what, what is actually going on in secular society is kind of a, actually a counterfeit of the idea, the biblical idea of redemption. That if we get the right tools, the right education, the right governance, we're going to get there. But it's been a long time, folks, and we're not there. You know, the idea that we just need to evolve to something better is just, it just doesn't, it doesn't fly. I went to a, um, oh, by the way, if you have any questions, you can text into that number on the bottom of the screen. We're going to have a Q&A at the end. I remember going to a, um, I remember going to a Steve Biddulf workshop and he's like an Australian guru in educating boys and bringing up boys. And uh, he spent so much time talking about evolution in this thing and tying in all his stuff to do with by godless evolution, tying in all his stuff to do with uh, handling and boys and bringing up boys and all that sort of stuff. He tied it all in with that. At the end, I, uh, I stood up and I asked a question. I said, can you tell me how it makes sense that at one end of the school corridor, you've got the science teacher teaching kids that the whole world goes forward with bullying, and at the other end of the corridor, which is like survival of the fittest, and at the other end of the corridor, you've got the counsellor in a room talking to a kid who's being bullied and saying it's a bad thing to do that. Can you tell me how that works? And, uh, and you know what he said? He goes, yeah, well, that's why I think we've evolved and we don't have claws now. <laughs> yes, and I mean, I didn't get an opportunity to come back at him, but if I had a chance to come back at him, you know what I would have said? That's right, because we've just got lazy guided bombs and we can sit in an office somewhere and blow someone to pieces in another part of the world. That's way better than claws. <laughs> we really have evolved. We have really got somewhere. As I was uh, thinking about this message and the lead up to it, I found this quote from Eugene Peterson particularly helpful and uh, it kind of inspired a bunch of my thoughts in the early part of this message today. He says this, he says, Sacrifice. All the ways we have of dealing with what is wrong with the world, whether that wrong is named sin or not, are in stark contrast to this. Our typical ways are through force, getting rid of what is wrong by destroying it or containing it or policing it. By education, teaching people right from wrong and hoping that when they know the difference they will do what is right. By entertainment, distracting people from what is wrong with the world by giving them excitement and diversion. Temporary vacations from the wrong. By economic improvement, providing incentives and opportunities to improve people's lives so that they will not, out of despair and desperation, anger and retaliation, make a further mess out of things. Listen to this. None of these approaches is without merit. All of them, in ways small and large, make the world better. But none of them are God's way of accomplishing salvation. God's choice is sacrifice. You know that. You know, and we don't have time today, but you know that. Like when you look around and you see the things that actually make the biggest improvement on our world, it's actually the times and the places where people give themselves to each other in sacrifice, isn't it? Those are the things. You, you just know that like 
Anecdotally, you just know by looking at it that those are the things that create the, the greatest transformation in people. And I want to suggest to you this morning that they create the greatest transformation because that's what's at the core of the universe. At the core of the universe is a self-sacrificial God who through his sacrifice brings about transformation in people. So it kind of makes sense to me that self-help's not going to do it. It's just not going to get that done. Like if the DNA like in the centre of the universe is that sacrifice brings about transformation, self-help is just not going to get it done. Everyone, hear me on this, everyone gets themselves into places where they need help and where they need to be saved. And probably I would hazard a guess and say that everyone in this room has ways of trying to save themselves. But what you need when you get into a place where you're in trouble and you need to be saved, you actually need someone from outside your system to come in and help you and to sacrifice themselves for you. You don't necessarily get where you need to get by self-help. It comes by someone else sacrificing themselves for you. It comes by someone else giving themselves to you. And yet we stubbornly believe that the right structures are going to get it done. What's broken in humanity is way, way deeper than any structure is ultimately going to be able to touch. It's way deeper. The remedy that's needed is way deeper than some sort of systemic fix. Do you believe that? Now some people, some of you even here, you might sit there and you might just go, I could survive. Just with my own stuff, I could, I could go off the grid. I could, I could live in my own tent somewhere and, and be fine. And you know what, in one sense, it's like, yeah, well, maybe you could be. Maybe you could be. When the last thing I want to be is someone up here saying, everyone's a wreck and I think they are, but... That people can't hold their lives together. Does it, does it logically follow that if someone decides that they don't want to be connected to God, that they won't be able to live a life and hold some things together? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'll tell you what I am saying. Is that's just a bit lame compared to what God has planned for you. <laughs> it's just lame. Like some of you sit there and you go, yeah, I don't need relationships with other people. And, I, I, you know, a classic thing with the church over the years is like, yeah, I'll pop into the church. I mean, my dad used to talk about C&E, churchgoers, which are Christmas and Easter. You know, just pop in and keep my frequent fire credits up with God and um, it'll be all right, you know. And I'll just get on with the rest of my life and it'll go okay. And I'll just go, oh, it's just a lame life. I'm just telling you, it's just a lame life. Like if you, if you just, if that's it, I mean, you go to adventure education places and they go, aim low and you'll hit it every time. (laughs) That's low, isn't it? Is anyone with me on that? Really? I mean, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
an excess amount of life. And I, I would just encourage you this morning, just don't be lame. Like, don't have a lame life. Don't have a pathetic life. Don't, maybe pathetic's too hard, but just don't settle for second best. God would have your life be abundant. I was out at Gundy um, a couple of weekends ago uh, for rugby because I've never had another reason to go to Gundy <laughs> than to go out for sport, but uh, it's, it is a nice place. Anyway, I'm sitting there um, waiting for these, uh, these rugby games to start and like it was just the number of sulphur-crested cockatoos was insane. And that, they were so loud. There must have been thousands of them, you know. And then every now and then, like a hundred of them, would just decide to jump off the branch, fly in a circle and then just come back and land on it again. And I'll sit there and I'm just going, what are they even doing? Because they weren't eating, they, weren't, they were just sitting up there and then they go for a little fly and then they come back and they're having a big yarn and it was just a, it was a ruckus. And do you know what kind of hit me about that is I just thought, what about the ridiculous vibrancy of the life of God? If he can create a flock of sulphur-crested cockatoos where life just jumps out of them randomly in this country town, they won't like me saying it, but in the middle of nowhere... What does that say about the vibrancy of God's life? And if God's life is that vibrant, I mean, that's what John 1 says, right? In him was life. Like the vibrancy, jumping out at your face kind of life. If that's what God's life is like, what kind of life does he want for you? Well, I don't think he wants you to have a lame life. (laughs) Is anyone with me on that? Anyone give me an amen? He He just doesn't. So this kind of notion that you just go, yeah, I think I can make do. It's like, yeah, okay, because that's what Jesus said, right? I have come that they may make do. <laughs> but isn't that what we get stuck in, you know? We just, yeah, I'll make do. We can get across the line, you know, education will help a bit, a bit and self-help will help. I got a good book the other day and... You're like a toaster, all right? That's made to be connected to power to work properly. And if you're not connected to Jesus, that's how God made you in the very beginning. He made you creationally dependent upon him. What does that mean? It means you're like a toaster. It means that you don't work properly unless you're connected to him. Now, you could light a fire under a toaster or find some way to try and make a toaster toast without power. But it wouldn't work as well. Is, it, is anyone with me on this? Some of you going, yeah, I, I did that yesterday. <laughs> God made you to be connected to him and to have issues if you're not, because that's just the way that you've been made to work. Like, you just don't work properly if you're not connected to him. You can see... A small example of that in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and we move and have our being. So there's a creational kind of dependency in everyone. And it's not just, God hasn't just made you to be connected to him, but he's made you to be connected to other people. It's the relational thing that Cole was talking about earlier. But here's where it gets worse, is that when humanity sinned and turned away from God, 
unplug the toaster, so to speak. It just got worse. This is Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 and 4 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, plugged the toaster back in when you were dead. Some of you are going, that's a bit sacrilegious. He made us alive together with Christ. How needy are you based on Ephesians 2 verse 1? Well, you're, well, you're dead. Like, dead. Like you don't need a drink of water. Dead. Are you with me? Like that, surely... And this is, when you're disconnected from Jesus, surely that is the most needful state that any human being could ever get in. But if someone had a heart attack and died today and they were lying on the floor, they'd be needy, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I saw you go, no, that's past that. Like, uh, <laughs> There's nothing that can help them anymore. It's, like it's, it's not even a needy kind of category anymore. The only thing they need to find is um, someone to carry them out, put them in a box. But that, that is the neediest kind of place. You, you see what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2 here. He's just saying the situation is so dire that you don't need a system of redemption. You don't need a drink of water, you don't need life to go well for you, you don't need insurance, you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need that. Ultimately, you are, your needs are so much bigger than that to be okay. Creational dependency and an increased dependency that actually comes out of sin. Now, there has to be some good news this is the good news. I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no saviour. As I said, just stop trying to save yourself. Just stop trying to make your life go the way that it needs to go. God says to you, there is no other saviour other than me. Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven among, given among men by which we must be saved. Here's where I want to finish. I've been uh, thinking, there's lots of other kind of theological things you could throw in on this, but I just want to finish with focusing you in on something um, at the end here. You, you, need, you need lots of things. But you need two things always need to go together. And that's forgiveness and mercy. Okay? So forgiveness is that you need your record cleaned up. Your, your offences, the things that you've done wrong. So I'm, I'm thinking in a Godward kind of direction here. You need your sins forgiven. Because it's not right for someone to sexually assault someone and get away with it. Is it? 
It's not right for a parent to be physically abusive to their kids and get away with it. It's not right for a murderer to go and kill someone because they want to get money out of them. It's not right for any of that. It's not right the last time that you lied. It's not right that any of those things, that you get away with any of those things. It's not right, it's not right that anyone gets away with anything. True? I mean, it, it gets a little more uncomfortable. It's easy when you're talking about the bad guys, but when you start talking about you being a bad guy, then I say that generically, guy. I was in a traditional Presbyterian church once and didn't like it. It's a very American thing. Anyway, so you need forgiveness. True? You need your record cleaned up. If you're honest with yourself, I don't think anyone in this room would say that they have a clean record with people around them or with God. But here's the kicker. If God just comes along and he says to you, I forgive you, it kind of helps, but it doesn't help. Because you could be forgiven and just still be in the same crap that you're in, couldn't you? Because isn't that, I mean, if you, those of you who know your Bibles a bit, what does sin do? Well, sin enslaves you. It gets you trapped in stuff, doesn't it? So you do stuff and then you're trapped in it. The trapped person doesn't need forgiveness. The trapped person needs mercy. Because you know what mercy is? Mercy is getting out of trouble. That's what mercy is. So... You need at least those two things. And I think you need lots of other things as well. But I just wanted to demonstrate for you the connection between forgiveness and mercy. You just need both of those. And you, you need, you so need. And I haven't even talked to you about your week, but you so need someone who can get you out of the trouble that you get yourself into. Some of that trouble is a trouble you've got yourself into between him and God. And that's where forgiveness and mercy kind of overlap. But going back to um, what I was saying earlier, you just got to expect that God's going to do better than that. God doesn't just forgive and then get you out of trouble. He, he is just a lavish giver, isn't he? There's another thing called grace. <laughs> is God just giving you presents? It gives you cool stuff and not a new iPhone because that's just not that cool compared to what he gives you. Amen? So he's just, he's an abundant giver. I'm done. So if you've got a question, I'll give you 30 seconds. You can shoot them through to that uh, number on the bottom of the screen there. And um, And uh, I'll take a few questions if there are any. And then we'll finish up. All righty. Let's, uh, let's kick in. All right, here's the first one. Isn't education what happens at church and what God does? Don't we get educated by God and church to receive God's saving or is it more than that? Good question. 
Absolutely. Absolutely it is what church, what church does. But I guess the whole way along, I've been careful in the way that I've been uh, expressing um, things with regard to education and legislation. I'm not saying that those things don't help and that they're not a part of it. I'm just saying that the problem is much deeper and bigger than those things can touch. Um, so I think... Uh, I think education is always going to be a part of it. I think, I mean, we've got a whole book in the Bible which is called Proverbs, which is about growing in wisdom. And I think that you grow in wisdom by education. But just because you have education doesn't mean that your problem's actually going to be solved at that point. Because I think the problem is a deeper spiritual problem. And part of that is, in resolving that, in a sense, is going to be education. But the essence of resolving that is you don't need a system, you actually need a saviour. That's what you need. You don't need... Because you're not a machine. I mean, we still kind of... It feels to me like we keep thinking that. We just think if we put the right inputs in, we'll get the right outputs. But it, it just doesn't grapple with the depth of the problem that we've got, um, which is a spiritual, relational problem between God and us. You have to kind of plug the toaster back in. So am I saying that you wouldn't do education? No, not at all. I think education is really important. I just think it's a nerf gun against like a, a rhino that's charging at you. And it's just not going to get it done. And it's not meant to get it done. It's meant to be a part of something. You know, God, Jesus comes to bring wisdom, doesn't he? And that's what he does. I mean, uh, when, when you love Jesus and you follow him, he teaches you wisdom and you grow in wisdom and he educates you and the word helps you. So it's a part of it, but it's not the whole of it, if I can say that. When realising I'm trusting my own self-help therapies, what steps can I take to take me out of self-reliance to trust in God? Well, you just say sorry. I mean, effectively, you're having a relationship with yourself. And a lot of us do that. You just kind of have a relationship with yourself. It's like I'm trying to help myself and I'm trying to serve myself. And it's like you're made to be a relational being that curves outwards toward people and God. And often in those kind of things, we just kind of curve in on ourselves and end up having a relationship with ourselves. And so I think you just, you need to have a relationship with God. You need to say sorry. You need to cry out to God for, for his help and his insight. I mean, the after God creates Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, like the first thing that he does is he talks to them. <laughs> now, his talking to them teaches them about who they are and who he is. And it's, it's really, really important. So there's, there's even a relational dynamic that's actually going on at the start. And the other thing that's really interesting in Genesis 1 is that um, Adam and Eve are really dependent upon God to understand who they are and who he is. And they, Paul Tripp uses this term, he says they're revelation receivers. It's kind of like God made you to be a kind of radio that would receive information from him that he would speak to you and help you to know who you are. And that, I mean, the scriptures are really key, a really, really, really key part of that, you know. So it's crying out to God, it's reading the Bible, it's praying calling out to God for him to bring insight to your life and to help you to work through stuff. Now, is that, some of that stuff, is that going to come from other people? Absolutely. Absolutely will. I mean, Paul Tripp's got a whole course called Your Walk With God as a Community Project, um, which is like, you're, you're meant to walk with God and be friends with God and do a relationship with him, not on your own only, 
I mean, there's a, there's a kind of you and God kind of component to that, but you actually need lots of people around you to uh, encourage that and to help that to, uh, to happen. And God will speak through other people. Uh, here's another one. It's really easy for me to feel like I don't need a saviour most of the time, but only rarely when things go wrong. How can I feel it all the time? Well, you need a saviour because you don't think you need a saviour all the time. Does that make sense? Like that's something that you need saving from that you don't, that you can't do on you on your own. Like, and and that's behind the question itself. It's like, how do I be saved? How do I feel like I need regular saving if I don't feel like I need regular saving? And I just say, well, you need to say sorry to God for that. Like that, that's what you do. Like if you if you did something that affected a relationship with someone else, you'd say sorry. You'd want to get it sorted out. Uh, and that little question even on itself is an area that's outside of your control and I, I would just um, I, I would pray that that person would um, would see more areas of their life where there's deep dependency because you got them you just don't see them um, related to that one someone asked I find it easy to fall back into trusting myself. How do I stay alert to my wandering heart? Oh, that's a really that's that's a really hard one, you know. I I give you a couple of things. Uh, the scripture that comes to mind straight up is uh, the psalmist. He says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart." Um, that that's a pretty common refrain in the psalms. So I, I would think you, it wouldn't hurt you to do that every day. Every day, just uh, maybe multiple times a day and just say, hey, is there something that I don't see? I mean, the nature of deception and self-deception is that you don't see it. So I think the question highlights a significant risk that, that goes on there. I, I think the other thing, and this has been really, really helpful for me, um, if I just speak personally over the last little bit, is it's so crazy helpful to me. I just, I, I find in myself like every day I need something that's going to cut across me. And most of the time that's scripture, all right? But it's people as well. It's like who, who in my life today, when all the current's heading this way, who's going to cut across that way, across my current? Because it's when you're in your current, if you know what I'm talking about, it's when you're in your current that you can be tricked and not be in a place that you think you're in. And so you need, what do you need? Well, you need community to come in and just say, hey, you're dreaming. <laughs> That's not what's going down for you at all. And you need scripture to come in and do that big time as well. You need the Holy Spirit to actually cut across the flow that you're in. Uh, and I just, man, I, I have found it so deeply beneficial being in scripture recently. Uh, for that very reason I will just go in there and then I'll just read something and all of a sudden I can just feel God it's almost like he t-bones me <laughs> at the intersection and just goes yeah you're heading this way but you know what we just I want you to stop here and I want you to think about this you need to connect in with that last question um, I'll just do this quickly even though it's a very deep question and a difficult one how do you help the depressed or downtrodden christian who knows all this they're well educated but cannot seem to find any peace or fullness of life in god i'd tell them not to stop i'd tell them not to give up 
don't believe the lie that if you stop trusting in God that you'll stop trusting. You just find something else to trust in that's not as good and that's, that's more counterproductive for you. So don't, don't kind of, don't be sucked in by the lie that, that says uh, somewhere else is better. You know that somewhere else isn't better. So then it brings you back to the whole question, like how am I actually going to get through this? Which is kind of like a little bit of what I talked about last week. And, it, and I mean, that's just some deep, ongoing, long-term grappling with that, isn't it? And the need for community around you. I mean, Highfields, I'll finish with this, Highfields gets pretty foggy, you know. And I used to say to uh, students when I was the head of pastoral care and I was dealing with students who were uh, uh, depressed or suicidal, and this is not meant to be a silver bullet that fixes it, but it just, I'm just giving you a framework. I used to say to students, um, have you ever had that experience where you get in your car in Highfields and the fog is just so thick um, and you go down Mount Kynock and you get about halfway down, and it's just like this sweet blue sky, beautiful day, you get into Toowoomba, and you just go, what the heck is going on in Highfields today? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And I, I just think life can be like that, can't it? You know, and yet everyone can get into places where it's deep and it's dark and it's really, really difficult, and you've got your head in a fog, and all you can see is the fog. And at that point... What becomes really, really important is that you drive slow. No kidding. What becomes really, really important at that point is that you've got some people around you who don't have their head in the fog. Who can actually say to you in a loving way, the whole world's not like that. There is a really nice view and there are really good things but not say to you in a way that's really uh, cheap, but in a way that's really, uh, that's, that's really deep and patient and just encouraging you along. And you know, the person in the best position to do that is, uh, is God. He's the counsellor and he's the one who has the clearest view of anyone. So uh, you need to keep talking to him. We're, uh, we're done. That's the end of the series. I trust there's been some helpful stuff in there. If you've got other questions or things that you want to talk about, feel free to come up and uh, have a wonderful winner's day. See you.